Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, Flaviar's head of cocktails and spirits. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host David Wangerich. How are you, Dave? I'm doing great. Yourself? I am better now. Looking forward to <laughs> our recording and uh, drinking some cocktails. So, uh, which always puts me in a good mood. So, yes, uh, it does. I, I think the company uh, truly makes it. So uh, good so, company, good cocktails. You know, that's a that's a good time. <laughs> it's a, I would say the 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 best perk of this uh, of this podcast is even if we're recording virtually um, to to spend time with you over over drinks, which is always nice. So likewise, uh, I, I can't even believe I can say this, but we have recently now traveled together. To several different cities this, this <laughs> over the last few months. I never thought we'd be able to leave our neighborhoods again. I know, so. I know. It's 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 kind of amazing, kind of frightening, uh, but also kind of fun. Yeah, uh, we were just in New Orleans. We're looking forward to a whole bunch of other cities. Oh yes, so, uh, <laughs> up in Rochester you know, uh, at the beginning of June, I guess. It's it yeah, that was that life. was amazing. So uh, always a pleasant city. Yeah, for sure. So you know. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, it reminded me of a of a article I found a, a while back from uh, the United Service magazine in 1902, in which uh, an American naval officer. I mean, you know, we we've got our our document that we're going to start sure. off with. So uh, I think this might be a fun one. This American naval officer is. Uh, sitting at one of the service clubs in D.C., uh, holding forth. He's just gotten back from the American Navy's uh, Great White Fleet tour around the world that when Teddy Roosevelt sent the Navy to all the ports of call. And uh, Of course. I remember as a child seeing the boats come in and waving. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was a pivotal uh, event in, in, in pivotal my experience yes, in, for in, both in of my us. experience as well, yes, yeah. the Great White Fleet. One of the people sitting around with this guy says, uh, they start talking about cocktails in general. And, and he says, have you observed the character of the cocktails in the interior of our own country? Inquires the lobbyist from St. Paul. <laughs> and this guy, of course, you know, he's a, a professional at holding forth, much like uh, some people we know, maybe present co company. <laughs> uh, well, we won't even get into that. But uh, so our naval officer goes, yes, in some measure I have. And uh, then he goes on to say, uh, if you want a bad cocktail, it may be had at Kansas City. Ooh. Now, hold your comments because we're going to go back over this. Shots stuff. fired. Yes. The shots fired. Exactly. It retains the frontier fierceness. It is made up like a real estate boom foaming with enthusiasm, or a prairie blizzard foul with the dust it makes, okay? Uh, St. Louis cocktails are gloomy. Uh, they use a kind of stem glass there, a small saucer on a crystal stick that is very objectionable. Now, these are fighting <laughs> words as well. Right. Uh, the Chicago cocktail requires watching and is, well, sloppy. New Orleans is a very foreign city. And nothing is more foreign to it than a good cocktail. Oh, oh, oh. You have to get as far north in the Mississippi as Cincinnati to get a good one. Okay, That's incredible. Uh, as I have said, Washington excels in the matter of cocktails. The Philadelphia product is quiet and genial and next to Washington in excellence. 
Austin does not drink many cocktails, but they seem to be carefully compounded. I'm glad they have that going for them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they do little to advance the interests of the empire in Boston. Clearly a Yankee fan has written this. The New York article is likely to trip its victim up. <laughs> then he goes on to describe the various drunken sailors he's known and so on and so forth. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole lot of opinionizing there. I, I'd say that's like what a, what lawyers call an unreliable narrative uh, or a, 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 <laughs> well, a hostile you know, witness. Uh, you on know. the other hand, I didn't drink cross-country in 1902. So. That's true. You know, when you told me about this story that you had found, it's funny because I thought it was going to be a different one that I had read because this was actually like a fairly common source of news for yeah, newspapers it was. it was like because cocktails and spirits were covered fairly widely like and especially in big cities and those articles were often reprinted in other cities over and over and over again and there was a lot of curiosity about like hey yeah. what you know what's going on you know and, and it wasn't as easy i mean you and i get on a plane usually if, if we're fortunate if not a long bus ride um <laughs> but it hasn't happened in a while but um no you know, it hasn't thank god then, i mean there there were no you know the train lines there were no national trains you know back before the civil war obviously so if you were if you like bars and cocktails other than newspaper coverage there wasn't really any way to find out what people were drinking and yeah. to get new ideas for drinks and for bartenders uh, you think of like the Sazerac cocktail, New Orleans classic. The recipe was published early on, but it was in one little paperback book uh, published by a newsstand in San Francisco. Wow. And if you didn't have that yeah. book, you know, you didn't know the recipe for a Sazerac. And so you see recipes with people putting all kinds of junk in them because they didn't know. Well, it's also interesting, you know, our old friend Jerry Thomas, who obviously your book imbibe is all about it is about his sort of you know his seminal bartender's guide that comes out in what 1862 i mean how many other cocktail books basically just repackage his recipes right and oh, then are so put many. out and you know and, and what's funny is that a lot of those recipes are then given regional nicknames or names mm -hmm. and you know for us now 160 years later or so or like, you know, oh, this drink is, you know, from California. And then, of course, somebody finds out, oh, no, no, that's just a drink that was ripped off from Jerry Thomas that has been given a new name. Another example, exactly, of that is our drink of the day, so to speak, the New York Sour. Right. That's not the only name for this drink. I thought you were going to say it's neither New York nor sour. And I was like, wait, Dave, I think this drink is sour. But <laughs> well, okay. it, it's sour enough. But sour but enough. it's, uh, you know, it, it, it was known as the Continental Sour, the Southern Sour, a whole bunch of other stuff. But finally, it wobbled around and settled in, in the hole that was marked New York Sour. And this is an absolutely great drink that everybody screws up <laughs> these days, uh, which is a shame. All it is is a whiskey sour with uh, you make a whiskey sour, you know, a juice of half a lemon, bar spoonful of sugar, stir them together. Don't use syrup if you can help it. This makes a brighter drink if you use sugar. Uh, shake it together. I like to follow our dear friend and absolute, you know, goddess of the bar, Julie Reiner, and her procedure with this, 
where she also puts in a quarter ounce of orange juice, Ooh. making this, I guess, a stone sour. Is I, I don't think you ever had a kind word to say about a cocktail that included orange juice. So uh, well, I, I it's mean, not bad. No, I, I, the new I, day. I, I, I've even got kind words to say about your favorite, the blood and sand. Which <laughs> I, uh, my kind words are as follows: I don't hate it. <laughs> I'll take which it. is better than I'll most mythologists will I'll... say. I'll totally uh, so anyway, you, you, our, our sour, you've got half an ounce of lemon, quarter ounce of orange, a, a bar spoon of, of sugar all stirred together. And what kind of like we're thinking like two ounces of whiskey? One yeah, ounce two ounces of, of rye usually because right. yeah. in New York. You shake that up. You do not add egg white and okay. you do not pour it into a rocks glass. It's a straight up drink. It, it, I see so many people uh, make this drink. And they put egg white in it and pour it on 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 the rocks, which is fine. Normally, I'd say drink what you right. like, drink how you like. But the point of this drink is the next step. You pour it into your your large cocktail glass, and you carefully float a half an ounce of good like Pinot Noir or a uh, yeah. good red wine on top, something yeah. dry and 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 a little bit woody. It's easier if you pour it out of a small container. Than, than the right. wine bottle. And if you pour it over the back or even the top of a, the bowl of a spoon to keep it from dropping in, uh, it'll kind of settle on the surface. The secret, then then just twirl the glass in place on the on your bar top and the centrifugal force will even out the layer. Oh. You'll end up with a drink with this beautiful red layer on top. Right. If you make it with egg white, the red layer is under a layer of egg white foam. Right. And that looks kind of gross. And if you make it on the rocks, there's ice breaking it up and right. it just doesn't look right. And it's one of the most beautiful drinks you'll ever make and delicious. And the float we're thinking like quarter of an ounce of uh, like half one, an ounce. Half ounce yeah. yeah, you can, you know, you could go a little more, not too much. You want just a thin red line, so to speak, uh, on top. I mean, that is the funny thing. I mean, people who drink whiskey sours who know, like our old friend Mimi Sheridan, who was, uh, you know, used to write for me, mm-hmm. she's fanatical about her whiskey sour. And I remember talked about this before, but I think she was at a restaurant. And they brought her the whiskey sour that she ordered. And she was like, that's not a whiskey sour glass. And they're yeah. like, like, Mimi, right? that's the glass that we use. She's like, Okay, but that's not an actual whiskey sour glass. Well, it should be in a stemmed glass that you know of certain proportions. I mean, there were the original. There was actually originally a reason for that. Is the cocktail was made in a cocktail glass which held like two and a half ounces, oh. and if you used that same two ounce jigger of whiskey and then put half an ounce or three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice in it, you needed a bigger glass. Right. Uh, so the sour glass was. A stemmed glass, but bigger than a cocktail glass. Like three ounces or... Three. Yeah, three, four ounces. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Which is kind of funny because it, it that goes against basically everything that like the rebirth of the cocktail has been preaching in that, you know, we've always keep saying like, look, buy smaller glasses, your drinks will yeah. stay cool longer. But here, obviously, in fact, it's better to have a bigger balloon glass for this drink. Yeah. I mean, not it doesn't need to be much bigger. But you don't you you need to be able to fit a full a full shot of whiskey and you know and the citrus on top of that. So it just takes a little, you know, a little planning there. 
let's talk a little bit about these cities in America, you know, while we sip our New York sours, which absolutely are so delightful because uh, our old Navy guy, you know, <laughs> he had some strong opinions about uh, regional differences in the art of cocktailing. And I'm not quite convinced that uh, we're living in that world anymore. I mean, this is a trend in a lot of things, clothing, food, art, right? Where, I mean, at least for me, it's gotten ever harder to find really cool gifts for people or to buy stuff for myself when I travel, right? Because like, you know, you you go from New York and in most American cities, all the chain stores are the same, right? Yeah, like exactly. a lot of the chain restaurants are the same or you know, as I like to say, there's now a trend or there was for many years a strong trend of the Brooklyn restaurant, right? Fill in mm -hmm. the blank city, right? There's always subway tile and a large, you know, meat slicer and, you know, Edison bulbs possibly and, you know, or a Scandinavian modern design restaurant. Yeah. It's like with farm to table. And, and look, nothing against those things. They're all good. I mean, it was a great improvement in many, in many areas. The food was delicious but it's very similar like i remember eating in a restaurant like that in phoenix and it's yeah. like am i in phoenix or am i like you know borham hill like you know is this carol gardens or you know you know san francisco it's the same with with cocktail bars you, you you no matter where you go you often find yourself drinking at what i like to call ampers and ampersand <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, and, i love and that bar yeah you, you know that bar well i do it's the, it's the same thing, you know, and and they've got like a great mezcal list. They've got right. uh, sixteen gins, two bottles of vodka. Right. They've got uh, a bunch of rare rums, and uh, and these are all good things, and you know, a lot of bourbon. And the cocktail recipes, well, they're the same as you'd get pretty much anywhere. Which, in many ways, is no complaints. Wonderful thing, like. It's good we, execution, you know. We won. This is what we wanted. But at the same time, it's I think we're now at a point where we almost need like 2.0 will be like, I'd say, a why I would hope, like regional differences, different schools of... I mean, you could see how that works in, uh, in New Orleans, which sure. is one of the great... Uh, despite what our old, uh, our old uh, sea captain says, you know, New Orleans is... There's nothing less foreign to it than a good cocktail these days. Oh my days. god! Yeah, and and it's got a body of drinks that they make in New Orleans, and that every bar knows how to make. Every bar yeah. knows how to make a vieux carré, uh, La Louisiane, right. uh, Sazerac, of course, uh, Ramos Fizz. I remember years ago. I think it was the 2008, the first year I went to Tales. Fifteen, my first Tales of fifteen, right. Mm -hmm. We had when you were 15, right? When I was 15, too. Yeah. Uh, I was not 15. We had uh, Ohen, right? We had like yeah, an Ohen yeah. cocktail, I think. Everybody at the table, except for you, were like, what is this? Like, what? And you were like, no, no, this is like a local thing. Like, yeah. you know, so is Herb Saint. Like, all of these things that you really could not find anywhere outside of New Orleans not only you could find them, but people are actually still ordering them. I mean, it was like, you know. I mean, New like, Orleans, yeah, it, it has its own ingredients. Yeah. In uh, 1993 or four, uh, inspired by reading A.J. Liebling, I wanted to make Sazeracs. And I went all reason. over New York City 
and could not find Peychaud's bitters. I went to every gourmet store right. in Manhattan and nothing. They they just didn't carry them anymore. And fortunately, my, my dear wife, Karen, uh, was working at uh, Larry Ford Jones American Place restaurant. That was like the hottest, like one of the hottest yeah. restaurants in like That the, was one of the hottest the restaurants in town. Yeah. And Emeril Lagasse was being a guest chef. Unbelievable. And, and, you know, she was the maitre d'. She asked him where she could find Peychaud's bitters. Three days later, we get a FedEx box with two huge bottles of Peychaud's bitters. But he's amazing. And, you know, thank thank you again, Emeril. You'll always be <laughs> my hero for that. Exactly. So we had Sazerac's for Bam! Sazerac's. Yeah, bam. You know, that's a, what a sweet guy. Yeah. You know, now the Sazerac is, is the rack is back, so to speak. Yeah, the rack is back. Um, <laughs> and you can drink it uh, not just in New Orleans, but everywhere. But, you know, there are other cities that had regional drinks, too. And every once in a while, you come across one that still survives, like the Ricky in Washington, D.C. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's a great drink, which is basically like kind of like a highball, but with lime juice, right? That's yeah, the, you squeeze the... half a lime into a gin highball. Yeah, and it's uh, gin highball, uh, or whiskey, yeah. or you whiskey. You could do it a bourbon one too. Yeah, yeah. originally it was whiskey. Yeah, Colonel Ricky, who it was named after, hated gin. He thought that was disgusting and low class. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but you know, it's in D.C. Bourbon, lime juice, and soda, reasonably refreshing. Yeah, gin, yeah. lime juice, and soda, very refreshing. Yeah. You made that hot. You made. Day in DC in the summer, you just oh yeah, especially with no air conditioning. There used to be others at uh, Pisco Punch in San Francisco, of course. For sure, a lot of these were kind of like one bar driving, you yeah. know, and they had a signature drink that spread around town, yeah, like the Sazerac did in 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 New Orleans. Originally, that was just the way they made whiskey cocktails at the Sazerac bar, right? I, and I think that's that is a good point where you often see famous bartenders even in the 19th century move around and like somebody like tom bullock right um who wrote mm -hmm. the the ideal bartender book you know his ming julep becomes so famous that it even figures into a court case with president teddy mm -hmm. roosevelt and the ideal bartender right the forward to the book is written by President George Bush's grandfather, right? right. So, like, I mean, who George you know, Bush seniors, yeah, yeah, Herbert Walker, or whatever, Herbert, you know, like the, Preston Walker or something, right? Like exactly. That. So he's yeah, you know yeah. the grandfather, George and Herbert Walker, I and think. he's the grandfather and great grandfather of two American presidents. Um, writes the forward for Tom Bullock, which is a pretty amazing thing. It, he mm -hmm. had been, he was at the point working at a country club in St. Louis, and I, I would assume that. Mr. Uh, Preston Walker um, had was he was one of the members there, but that was one of these things where bartenders would go around and with them, obviously, like chefs was their catalog of cocktails. Yeah, and that's one of the big drivers of cocktail innovation. I mean, in some and, cities, those things just kind of took root and became yeah. the local drink. You know exactly. It's, uh it, it just was like this is what we drink here welcome to town you know yeah i guess back then when it was much harder to communicate drinks and drink recipes it was sort of 
more likely to to find these things as regional specialties. Right. Because now you get, you know, a great drink like the penicillin invented at, at Milk and Honey on the Lower East Side of New York that could have just become a local thing, you know. Right. In New York, but but you can get penicillins all over the place now. Which is which is a great drink. I mean, it's like yeah. one of the few Scotch cocktails that have been invented that have really caught on in a major way mm-hmm. and kind of combines smoky scotch, regular scotch, and and ginger and honey. Um, I, I do think sometimes, not just New Orleans, but you see certain ingredients still like carve out like a really niche, like whether it's Allen's Coffee Brandy in Maine, right? Which is yeah. a coffee liqueur that still outsells Fireball, I think, in yeah, the state of yeah, Maine. I mean, it's like people it's are obsessed with in, it, right? I mean, in, it's... In Maine, but- it's not going into a lot of craft cocktails. Not yet. <laughs> like that's more that's more what goes into the lobsterman's coffee in the morning. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But like, you know, that um Malort in in I Chicago. Say, I mean, you yeah. know, obviously I, I feel like you might bring up Malort. Also, not in too many cocktails. It's a very no. astringent robust flavor um it, I, I, <laughs> you're being very kind i it, it, it i i'm not i don't even know how to describe it it i i really personally prefer not to drink it myself um i think it's kind of like drinking a, a mixture of coal tar gasoline <laughs> and rhubarb it tastes like what i think the pure drug and food act of 1906 was supposed to prevent yeah. people from drinking, to be honest. I mean, I think it gives a window. It's so bitter. It's and so bitter. Herbaceous, kind of, that it, I think yeah. it, it kind of gives a window into what certain alcoholic beverages were like in the 1800s. Some of them deleterious, some of them obviously like Malort, not. Well, it's, you know, it's based on a Swedish uh, absinthe type, type yeah. drink, which is a, I have a bottle of that stuff, Buska Dropper, which is which translates as bitter drops, and they ain't kidding. I think that's an <laughs> app name for it. Um, app name for it, and that you could yeah. you could call Malort bitter drops for sure. Yeah. yeah, but except it's bitter shots because the only times I've ever done it, I've been shamed into it. Of course, and, uh, of course, in Chicago, and had to drink it in shots. It, it I, because I think it would only be worse to be forced to sip Malort like yeah, over it's a not, long. It's not sipping. Spirit. No, no shoot down have a beer a miller high life mm-hmm. with it that's not one that i think will necessarily spread nationwide but other things like fernet branca in san francisco right. which is like malort light yeah. that started off as a bartender's handshake in san yeah. francisco not yeah. started off as but it re you know now it's universal Reborn in the bartending as, yeah. community as like a as a as a, a popular shot among bartenders and cocktail aficionados and that yeah. It was a fairly modern development, and that was that came out of San Francisco, which I think would puzzle like uh, many people of Italian oh, yeah. ancestry who were like, um, "Why are these people drinking this?" What my like grandmother, grandfather, cousins, parents drank. I used to get that as a kid when I was over in in Italy, you know, but uh, uh, had family there, and uh, <laughs> if I had uh, a stomach ache, I might yeah. occasionally get like. A little bit of Fernet Branca. Right. So I recognize that as medicine. Absolutely. We saw like also something like uh, the Pickleback, right? Which yeah. started out as a shot of American rye whiskey and a shot of pickle brine in 
Brooklyn. Um, the bar was close to uh, hipster pickle brand. Yeah, they were know, storing like, pickles in the basement of the bar. So, like any good bar, I, I, yeah. that should be my measure. Do you store pickles in the basement? Because that's like better than a Michelin star. Bars and pickles, like yes, like we yeah. need more of that kind of cooperation. Like, is there somebody who could bake knishes also in the basement next to your pickle? <laughs> but um, then it turned into you know, Jameson and, you know, and really, you know, our, our friend now who lives in uh, San Diego, Chris Patino, like turned the pickle back into like a Jameson mm-hmm. shot of pickle brine and that spread all over like wildfire and, and became another bartender and kind of hipster favorite, but started out as like a New York thing. Yeah. I wonder if it's almost, you know, impossible for some of these regional traditions to gel before they get discovered and 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 spread these days yeah i mean there are lots of like bars that are trying to make their their traditions happen and uh they it seems like they they get discovered and you know then they're they're just like yeah. universalized kind of like the frozen margarita right i mean it, it did yeah. start it started in texas one person came up with the genius or and it was yeah it was for a long time it was just in texas now that original machine lives Mm -hmm. in the smithsonian which is pretty cool right down the down the aisle from julia child's kitchen is the first uh frozen margarita machine (laughs) things like my beloved tapo chico the the mexican sparkling water like for a long time you could only get that in certain places right in america right obviously you could get in more places in mexico but like now i think coca-cola owns it so it's now all over yeah like, it's you all know, over can, right i see it in in yeah, you in, could never you know, get it grocery in grocery stores here in brooklyn and that's yeah. that's kind of the sign that it's no longer a a regional uh for sure not uh, yeah. thing <laughs> for sure not a lot of the smaller cities in america have very tight-knit bartending communities yeah and I wonder if there's a way to game this process where the bars could kind of all agree on one drink that suddenly starts appearing there. And uh, Like uh, kind of uh, out in Kansas City, right? Like you have the horse feather, right? Isn't that yeah, like that's a, another one? Yeah, very, that's sort very, of very, been very true. Adopted, which is I can't remember exactly. It's what it's like whiskey it, it, and like it's whiskey, and, ginger ale and, and a dash of bitters, basically. Yeah. Which it's, I mean, why not? It's simple. It's tasty. You dash the Angostura on yeah. top, and it's delicious. Well, I remember uh, years ago, for a second, I, I was going to go to South Africa to visit Amarula, uh, like the oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the cream liqueur. I mean, mm-hmm. this was like, I mean, this was, we're oh, talking like 15 and 16, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. At the time, the U.S. rights were owned by Brown Foreman, and they were they were telling me that they saw out of nowhere it blowing up in some small city in America. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, crazy case volumes, no idea why. Then it went dark. And not like, you know, a couple months later, again, like in a different city, huge numbers. So finally, like, okay, we got to figure this out. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on? And it turned out to be like the same bartender who had moved from one town to the next <laughs> had created like a frozen shot with the yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was really like it was delicious. People loved it, and it became like wherever he went, like kind of his signature calling card. Yeah. And and just as they were about to like, I think work on turning that drink, whatever it was, into a big mm-hmm. 
sensation. They lost the rights. So ground <laughs> foreman never, you know, explored oh, well. that. But, but it's that kind of thing where, you know, somebody comes up with like a really cool idea to serve mm -hmm. X or Y and it, you know, it becomes this. Yeah, it's often it's a matter of chance and, uh, you know, leadership to put a, yeah. I mean, just to put a word on it, yeah. where there's either one charismatic bartender uh, or, you know, somebody revives the local drink that used to be popular in the 19th century. And, yeah. and suddenly, you know, everybody is saying, Hey, this is cool. You know, this is our town. Yeah. We're, we're, we're drinking yeah. this. I'd, I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see Chicago revive the Chicago cocktail, which is an old fashioned topped with champagne. Ooh. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, that sounds pretty that's tasty. That's a good drink. Wow. That's a, that's a very good drink. Would that make Often, it? Often I think it was a brandy old fashioned, which is even better. Would that make it a royal old fashioned? Or yeah, a, basically. That doesn't or, sound bad know, at all. That's a Chicago cocktail. Yeah. That, that's sporty uh, as hell. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Or even places like LA, you know, uh, claiming there are a lot of cocktails that are tied, whether it's true or not, to Los Angeles, but like them actually taking ownership of like, the Moscow Mule mm -hmm. or some of the other drinks that have, you know, been invented there. I, I know this is a, a favorite story of yours, but even, I mean, it sounds weird to say it, but like San Francisco and the Irish coffee is yeah. like, that is a city drink. And like that drink helped really to save Irish whiskey in some ways, all whiskey. It, it, you know, it really, um, it really almost single-handedly saved Irish yeah. whiskey in the 1950s. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just its own interesting story. One and... journalist who liked to drink extra much. The drink had already right. popped up in New York and a couple other places and done nothing. Right. And then uh, it pops up in San Francisco. Where Stanton Delaplane takes it into the local German bar because he liked right. to hang out there. Buena Vista. And uh, yeah. they, start, they start mixing it. And... Uh, Next thing you know, they're selling thousands of them. Still open today. And I remember I found an article again where literally, I think it was Tullamore Dew that's originally in it, right? Or, or, I, well, or, originally it was, it was Powers because he had two bottles it, of Powers, Powers. Th that he brought back from, from Ireland. But Tullamore Dew is the whiskey they, they the used. bar switched yes, to when, yes, when yes, it got that's successful. It. But they, but they were selling so much. But like nobody told anybody in Ireland. So at a certain point, the people at Tullamore do were like, what is going, on? going on? It's San Francisco. Yeah. Like, are these like orders? Like, is this a mistake? Like before we send, like, it, like they couldn't believe that like people actually yeah. wanted this much Irish whiskey again, which was hilarious. And then they found out like what was going on. I go to cocktail bars, as do you, all over the country. And well, you know, lucky. a lot yeah. of them are, they're offering the same stuff. You kind of think, what if they just focused on one drink a little more and really worked that one yeah. hard, you know, found something delicious and made it a signature like, like they used to have. Or, or we've seen with a lot of craft distillers where 10 years ago or so when a lot of these distillers opened, it was like, what do we make? Like what would be everything? Right. So we make, yeah. they made everything like gin, vodka, absinthe. Yeah. Rome, you know, and then it's like over time, a lot of the ones that, you know, that became leaders in industry, like dropped a lot of the stuff and focused on one or two products, right? right. You know, and it really it's like realized like this is what we're meant to make. And 
this is really good and this is what we should focus on. That's what all the European guys did yeah, too. Like Capari used to make all kinds of products in the yeah. 19th century. And then they were like, let's just focus on, you know, yeah. our, our aperitivo. And they had one other yeah. uh, Capari liqueur uh, flavored with wild raspberries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that doesn't sound it's, bad. It's yeah. not bad. I meet so many skilled bartenders around around the country I, I think of this one bar i went into years ago in buffalo called buffalo proper and had like two of the best cocktails i've ever had in my mm. life they were just you know perfectly made perfectly balanced delicious uh and it's like how great if you could take one of these and make it like the signature drink of buffalo oh yeah so when you you know that every buffalo bar knew how to make this this one just really simple, straightforward and delicious drink. And then uh, and I, I, that's one thing I wish I could see in in more cities where they've got like yeah. a regional specialty that's just delicious. And I think Louisville currently is the mayor, I think, announced a competition to like try to create a city cocktail which to replace the seal buck in other right. words well, right. well, so that's a whole other story um, that's a whole other story um but yeah i mean i think it's a good idea but that would be amazing like just yeah. as like every state has a bird and the sun mm. and all these things that nobody even knows that they have wouldn't it be amazing if each state was like and this is our cocktail like we you know this is our state beverage you know this is like you know yeah, though it would be better if it uh, came from the bottom up rather than the top down. Sure. Usually those things are. are How you know. dare you, Dave? How dare you? <laughs> no, I for sure. And, and I think, look, I mean, uh, don't, don't get us wrong. Like, we are very grateful for the bars that we have oh, and, the, and their what the menus the the ability the whole thing about this was that we could go into any bar and say i want an old-fashioned or i want a manhattan or a daiquiri and the bartender would say sure no problem instead of looking yeah. at you with a blank look and saying how do you make that or what like i don't i can't make yeah. that like i don't have the ingredient and now it's like it's no joke i mean which is unbelievable and like we often like we now take this for granted but for those of us who've been around for a while, it's like, it's, that's an incredible thing. Um, oh, it's a victory. It's a huge victory. And I think, you know, I could go into a, a bar in uh, almost any town in the, in the country. I might not really want to try all the signature drinks anymore, right? but I know that I can get a good Manhattan, right. you know, that they'll make it right. I know that, that martini will be done properly. Yeah. It'll be like proportioned right, and it'll be yeah. really cold. I know that their daiquiri will won't be too sweet, or right. they won't be much too sweet. Or they'll, or they'll be able to. They won't say, "Oh, I don't need a blender." Like, I we need a yeah. blender for it. Like, I don't have a blender. Like, yeah. So it, that's that's a that's a complete victory. Oh, you know? for sure. And I think we'll see a return where now that we can take that for granted, which sounds ridiculous. Mm -hmm we'll begin to see different cities states like really begin to own i think certain beverages certain you know preparations certain ingredients i think so hopefully we'll have like a 
like the New York, Boston, clam chowder wars of red versus white, <laughs> you know, like that yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, it, it, or the New York versus Chicago hot dog. It's always, it seems like New York, we're fighting with a lot of people here. Um, I don't, why would they say well, that about wants us? To fight with New York. Right. So, or or, or maybe it's us. I don't know. But, uh, but well, you, know, you know, but, but that kind of thing where it's like, where we, we then, you know, have these you know, amazing regional specialties. And as, as a local, you love that, but also somebody who visits it's, you know, I want to, I want to try that dish. I want to try, I want to go to that restaurant. I want to go to that museum, mm -hmm. like whatever it is, like, I want to experience, you know, I'm in Minnesota. I want hot dish, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, I, I want like some kind of Minnesota aqu aquavit cocktail right. or something right. made with local aquavit and, and, and wild know? rice, you know, yeah. Or whatever, yeah. There's I mean, like dough wilders for his. <laughs> I guess not. Just something to go with the grain belt beer, you know. Yeah, exactly. That would, would be just. I think with with the micro distilling or and, and the craft distilling movement, really, uh, as that finds its maturity, we I think that's going to help a yeah. lot too because you get local products, and if everybody can kind of fall into one or two local cocktails that that you got to, you know, use the local products yeah. in, that would be great. It's a, I mean, it looks like I just got back from Italy and, you know, everybody all around Italy drinks the uh, Aperol spritz now, which is right. kind of funny, but only in the Northern tier where, where I was, there's this other drink, the Ugo the, or Hugo spritz, which is uh, Prosecco, soda water and elderflower syrup with a sprig Ooh. of mint in it. It's 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 simple. It's refreshing. Yeah. It was invented by this bartender up in the Italian Alps, this uh, German Italian yeah. guy or uh, Austrian Italian. I was going to uh, say they drink that in Austria too. Some people like a, a yeah, version of that. Is, yeah. yeah, it's it's and you know it, it's probably invented 15, 16, 17 years ago, not not too long ago. But mm. it's it's quite popular, mm. and it's the drink of like the mountains, you yeah. know, and and mountain summer. Yeah, and. I love to see that kind of regionalism. You know, that's very cool. Well, I mean, you 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 go to Rome for dinner. Most of the restaurants have almost exactly the same menu, right? But the yeah. food tastes. Each neighborhood, you go to each neighborhood. There's the restaurant, and they prepare each dish their way, differently from the like the next restaurant, like exactly. in the next neighborhood. And that's what makes them all delicious to go to because you know they each have their own take on. Yeah, there is, is, but it's their own variations on on yeah. a theme that you understand, right. which gives you a perspective to judge it, right. and it gives you like you know roughly what you're going to yeah. get. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, and and you know that it's a good combination of ingredients. In, in New Orleans, everybody makes their sazerac a little differently. Right. And right. but you still, you know, it's going to be a Sazerac. It's going to right. be in this ballpark and right. uh, you know what you're in for. And I, I like that balance between individuality of technique and uh, sort of uh, a regional culture of of, of recipe, you know, of, of yeah. basic ingredients and formula. And a connection. I mean, like, I, you know, when I, I moderated a panel of tales about. Um, milk punch, both the clarified version, mm -hmm. but also the New Orleans version. We had our our dear friend T. Martin, co-proprietor of Commander's Palace. She came, she gave us. We we served her recipe of milk punch, which is absolutely delicious, right? Unclarified, mm -hmm. and there's a real personal connection and a New Orleans connection to that drink. It's like a Mardi oh, yeah. Gras drink. Oh, yeah. Her her family at Brennan's try to 
created like um, years ago as kind of a breakfast at Brennan's instead of dinner at Antoine's. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to take that's that's where you know they're genius marketers. So yeah. you know, famously, you know, Antoine's was famous for its dinner you know, like, and that was a big thing. So they're like, what can we do? Let's do breakfast at Brennan's. We need a cocktail. Let's do milk punch. Like we have all these amazing decadent breakfast items, but that, that was years ago. I mean, that was decades and decades yeah. ago and it's become this drink that's enjoyed at Mardi Gras parades. Everywhere. And yeah. Everywhere. everywhere. In New Orleans. And, and that kind of connection makes it more fun to drink when you're in town or to make it home because it obviously reminds you of, of New Orleans. Yeah. All of this talk is, Parched my throat, made me very thirsty. I think it's probably time for for one more uh, New York sour. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> Let me get the shaker file, filed uh, fired up here. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Cheers to you, Dave. Uh, and to looking you? forward to to more travels around this uh, country and around this world. So. More regional specialties, I hope. Absolutely, we'll report back what we find. Till then. Cheers. Cheers. to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.